0: Welcome back to another episode of Banter, the official podcast of the American Enterprise Institute (AEI). My name is Max Frost, and joining me today is a special co-host, Max Tui. Max, welcome on the show. Max, thank you so much for having me. Max is a colleague of mine here. The normal co-host, Matt Winesett, is currently on vacation in Colombia.
1: We saw a picture of him. I think it was yesterday, and he's he's currently wearing a fedora on the beach. So we. Wish him the best of luck.
0: I hope and that his fashion sense returns <laughs> I'm upon arrival Lots of policy Rivalius. down there. <laughs> Lots of policy. So we have a very interesting show for you today. Our guest is Alex Berenson. Alex is a former New York Times reporter and an award-winning novelist. He's joining us today, though, not to talk about a novel, but to talk about a new nonfiction book he has out. Tell your children the truth about marijuana, mental illness, and violence.
1: In 1996, California became the first state to legalize medical marijuana. 23 years later, it's allowed in 33 states plus D.C. This has happened so fast, and Alex's message is, let's slow down, let's look at the science, let's study the facts, and let's really assess this honestly. I'm excited for the conversation.
0: I'm very excited. And on top of that, he concludes, not just we should look at the facts, that the facts are concerning and that people are not giving really the time of day right. to some very frightening studies and the science that's coming out of this.
1: Including linkages to psychosis, schizophrenia, and anxiety.
0: Yeah. So the picture here is not good. And Alex has a lot to say about it. So without further ado. I'll paint
1: that picture right now. Keep listening.
0: Here comes Alex Barron. Oh, here he comes.
2: Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Max, thanks so much for having me.
0: So we're going to start today. You're here for an event about your new book, Tell Your Children, The Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. So let's start with it. What should we tell our children?
2: You should tell your children that marijuana is not a safe substitute for alcohol. Uh, that in fact, if you're using it, uh, you know, in your teens, there's real uh, significant psychiatric risks. Uh, that it's been linked to the development of a permanent psychosis and schizophrenia, which is a you know a terrible mental illness um, that people usually develop in their late teens through about 25 to 27. Uh, schizophrenia is a is a really disabling condition. Um, most people who who develop it uh, never fully recover, and they have really uh, limited lives. A lot of them, and so that's a that's a that's not something I would wish on anybody. And uh, although you know the risk is not hugely high, there's a real risk, and there's also a risk of uh, there's a lot of other problems associated with marijuana use. Um, uh, in the long run, it seems to uh, to worsen a lot of psychiatric conditions. That you know, in the short run, it might uh, it might make you feel better in the short run, but in the long run, there are real problems with it. So, try not to use this drug. Uh, if you're going to use it, try to wait until you're in your 20s to use it. And uh, look, you know, teenagers are going to want to try drugs. They're going to want to try to get you know. They're going to want to try alcohol. They're going to they're going to want to take risks. Uh, but to the extent you can delay, delay. And don't pretend to yourself that alcohol is anything other than a drug like alcohol. Alex, you have an interesting
1: career and you spent a large portion of it at the New York Times as a reporter. Yes. Was the genesis of your interest, did you begin thinking about this question during your time as a New York Times reporter, or did
2: it develop organically? Or great, great question. Um, I did. I did not begin thinking about it at the Times, although I did cover the pharmaceutical industry at the mm. Times. Uh, uh, for a number of years, and I did uh, some of the most important stories I did were about a drug called Zyprexa, which is an antipsychotic, which is a, a medicine given to people with schizophrenia and other severe mental illness. Um, a, a pretty unpleasant drug, actually, that has a lot of side effects, um, but does you know does sort of a, a treat acute psychosis pretty well. Um, and so I was interested, you know, I was interested in uh, mental health and mental health drugs from that point of view. But the real reason I started writing the book. Was was long after I uh, left the Times, my wife is a psychiatrist, mm. a forensic psychiatrist, meaning she deals with the criminally mentally ill. And, uh, you know, th- there's a violence risk associated with psychosis, a, a, a large violence risk, and uh, which is not well understood. Um, I mean, I think people intuitively know that, but the mental illness advocacy community goes out of its way to say... Things like people with mental illness are not more likely to commit violence than than people who don't have mental illness, which is not really true for psychosis. It's true if you include, let's say, depression. You know, a lot of people have depression and they're not particularly uh, prone to violence. But so she would see these cases, my wife, and over and over again, she'd tell me, "Well, wow, there there was a there's a cannabis uh, uh, component to this. The person was smoking at the time, where they'd been smoking for years before, and they'd become psychotic." And then they continued and they did this, you know, they committed this terrible act, this terrible violence. Because, you know, violence around psychosis is really, it's really very ugly oftentimes. It's, you know, it's often, it's stabbings and it's, you know, it's it's directed against children or or vulnerable elderly people. It's 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 really ugly. And so, and I said to her, Jackie, you know, I, I think this kind of sounds like reefer madness. And she said, you know, marijuana has been shown to cause schizophrenia. And I said, Really? And she said, "Really, you should go look at the studies." And I did. And she's the one who trained at Harvard and Columbia. She's the one who sees the patients. I probably should have stopped mansplaining, you know, a year or two before I did. Uh, and uh, she was weasplaining. She, she would. That's, I, that's right, and
0: she was correct. So, there, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects of the conversation we want to get into. I'll start. I'll start with the skeptical, more skeptical question sure. here first. This
1: is Max the Skeptic. That's oh, right. Max, That's yeah, right. Not,
0: not Max. Bad, uh, the bad nine, Max. The
1: naive, yes. Um,
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I know a lot of people who have dabbled in marijuana. Sure. People who smoke occasionally, frequently, whatever. When we talk about psychosis... Are we talking about people who are smoking constantly from a young age and then they start to experience this? Or is the occasional weed smoker any risk for this kind of stuff? I mean,
2: I would say even the occasional smoker is at risk to be, you know, to have a transient psychotic episode. Uh, Certainly. And certainly if you, you know, if you use a lot one day or if you wind up, you know, taking an edible. And I mean, you know, the joke about edibles uh, is I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling anything. I'll have another one. I'm not feeling anything. Take me to the emergency room. And I you know, I mean, you laugh but like I, right. I mean, people people know that. Um, and you know, if you're if you go to the ER and they tell you and you and you say, you know, I was using and I had this panic attack and I, you know, I I started thinking, you know, my roommates were out to get me and uh you know, and I really couldn't control it and here I am. Um you know, they they may or may not give you a, you know, a benzo or some kind of anti-anxiety medicine or they may you know, they may just tell you, we're going to watch you for a little while and you're going to come out on the other side of this. Um, but what, what your diagnosis is going to be, whether or not they tell you, is marijuana psychosis, um, cannabis-induced psychosis. And, uh, you know, that's a real diagnosis uh, thousands of people uh, or really tens of thousands of Americans get in ERs uh, every year. And so, by the way, you're, you're likely to recover from that and be fine. But that's a bad sign. That's a sign that you know your your brain is reacting to this drug in a in a somewhat dangerous way. Now, the permanent psychosis is a is obviously a much rarer phenomenon, and that's something people oftentimes they'll descend into that after you know months or years of really heavy use, you know, daily all day use. Um, and you know, as I talked about upstairs a little bit, I talked about in the panel. I think. Uh, I think this issue of how that happens and why people continue to use as they're starting to literally lose their minds is a really fascinating question. Um, and I think we need to hear more about that from people who, who've who been in this position. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 that ideally somebody who's really descended all the way in and then come out, stopped using, will, will write that story. But But one of the things I think people have said to me, or one of the things people have said to me, is that... It's the word that comes up a lot is insidious. So you, you know, thoughts that seem strange one day you keep using and suddenly they become part of your uh, part of your paradigm. So one day it seems weird that, you know, the police are driving around outside your house and the next day and that you're noticing it and you're thinking that they're, they're that maybe they're coming for you. And the next day, it's just it's just what happens when you smoke. And so that that can build, and at the same time you know you're still you're still high, you still have you know euphoric effects, and so this can happen this can happen obviously for the temporary the transient psychosis it can happen quickly, but it also happens slowly um you know it's a little like i i think it's it's a uh, uh one of the Hemingway books, you know how'd you go bankrupt gradually then suddenly you know how how'd you lose your mind well, gradually and then suddenly mm-hmm. you know uh, when you arrived at the studio, I was talking to a colleague.
1: And uh, he expressed his general support for the uh, legalization of marijuana. And uh, his argument, and one you, Max, I'm sure heard many times at, at UVA in college and, and, and especially among young people, is, is they talk about marijuana in the context of alcohol. Sure. And so all of a sudden, your job becomes a lot harder because everyone's immediately thinking, but what about alcohol? How is how has alcohol made your case so much harder and how do you manage it?
2: Well, sure. I mean, by the way, there's a perfectly legitimate argument to legalize uh, cannabis. Um, And, uh, you know, in in much of this country, cannabis is now legal. Um, You know, I, I don't favor that. I think we should, you know, we should stick to decriminalization. But. We do have alcohol, even though alcohol can cause tremendous you know, morbidity and mortality. Alcohol causes car accidents. Alcohol causes sexual violence. Alcohol you know, can kill people from overdose. Uh, that's all true. And, and we tolerate it. You know, probably we should be more forceful about warning about it, but alcohol is never going to be illegal. So, so when people say alcohol is legal, therefore cannabis should be legal, I think that's a totally legitimate argument. I don't agree with it. But here's what I think is more important. I think it's more important that we tell people the real risks here that we stop pretending that this is medicine and not a recreational intoxicant and that and that we let people know, hey, yes, you're not going to overdose and you know go into liver failure from from smoking cannabis although you might, you know, you might from drinking, a, you know, a bottle of vodka. So, in that sense cannabis is less dangerous, but guess what? Alcohol doesn't cause psychosis. I mean, it, yes. In rare cases, it can, and certainly if you're a late-stage alcoholic, you can have the DTS, and you can, you know, you can have sort of psychotic episodes. But alcohol doesn't cause psychosis in healthy people, except very rarely. And and cannabis does. So let's talk about what the real risks are here. So, if before I was playing Max the Millennial with, <laughs> his, with his weed-smoking sure. friends
0: sure. asking questions, <laughs> now I'm more interested in kind of the reception of the book and your research. People don't really want to hear this argument, right? No,
2: they don't. And yet, you know, if you talk to your weed-smoking friend... I don't have any. This is totally, totally <laughs> theoretical. But but if you did, and you did ask them, I think you'd find people having had negative reactions or transient psychotic episodes more frequently than you think. Um, they They don't psychosis is not a word that you know unless you're a psychiatrist or you're married to a psychiatrist is not a word people hear that much I mean it, you know sort of maybe it gets you're psychotic you know meaning like you're so crazy but but people don't really know what the manifestations are of it and they don't think you know what the diagnosis of it is but the there's been there's a study in coming out of Massachusetts recently where uh, researchers at Harvard surveyed people who'd used teenagers, as teenagers who who, who who are pretty regular users of cannabis and ask them, you know, have you had, you know, have you heard voices that aren't there, which is auditory hallucinations? Have you, have you had, uh, you know, delusions, strange, you know, thoughts that you're, you're God or, you know, uh, and, and, and almost a third of the, of the users said they'd had this, these transient thoughts. So, so, so high-grade cannabis, and all cannabis these days is high-grade cannabis, produces this, these thoughts a lot more frequently uh, than I think people realize. And we just kind of laugh it off most of the time because most of the time it doesn't lead to ER visits. Most of the time people just manage it for the, on their own or with the help of friends, and they, and they, and they forget about it. But, but this is a real phenomenon. Okay, so now I've answered the question that you didn't ask, and I've forgotten the question that you did ask so you can ask it again the, <laughs> if you want
0: the, the reception. To oh the,
2: oh yeah. So the reception I, the reception has been sharper than I expected. Now, maybe I, I don't think of myself as a naive person, but I, I thought the I thought people in the drug policy community would say, hey, let's talk about how we're gonna deal with this. And we still think this should be legal and we think, you know, we don't think 800,000 or 500,000 as it is now, people should be arrested for cannabis possession. And we think it's not fair that you can, you know, smoke in, you know, in a college dorm at, the, at UVA and be a nice white kid, but you can't smoke, you know, on the street in, mm. in East D.C. You get arrested for that. Um, but, but, but these risks are real. And let's talk about it. And that's not what's happened. People have said the science is wrong. Science is not wrong. Okay, the the, the leading researchers in the world, um, including you know most prominently a, a, a doctor named Marta Deforti, who wrote a paper that was in the Lancet Psychiatry that got worldwide attention in March, um, have endorsed the book. Uh, you know you can go on Amazon.co.uk and look at Marta's five star review of the book. The the science around this is getting close to settled. It's not truly settled in the way that, you know, we all say we know tobacco causes lung cancer, but we're getting close to that. And we're close enough that we should be discussing these risks reasonably. So why won't the, you know, why won't the advocates do that? I think because there's still, there's both a cultural and a political reason. Culturally, they still think of themselves as the outsiders, even though they actually have the money and they have the media support and they've been winning for the last 15 years. They still think of themselves as these outsider revolutionaries. And it's okay to, you know, shade the truth or even lie when you're the outsider because you have to get people to listen. But the other reason is I think they're scared. I think they're scared of what an honest discussion of these risks might mean for the acceptance of the drug. When you appeared on Joe Rogan's
1: podcast. Yes, with Dr. Triceps, as with I like to call him. <laughs> Dr. Triceps. <laughs> he, uh, I say that, but... that was That was impressive, yeah. And Joe Rogan, he's not so small himself. No, no. That was impressive. <laughs> but
2: but he was wearing a correctly fitted shirt. Uh, <laughs> doctor Hart was wearing what, well, what I think they call him the trade uh, a smedium. <laughs> smedium,
1: <laughs> Doctor Doctor Trice, Doctor Smart.
2: He, uh, for
1: listeners, he he is a uh, medical marijuana doctor. Yes, in Canada. In Canada. Yes. In Canada, right? Uh, and. In in your conversation, and he was very defensive throughout, naturally because that's his profession, that's his livelihood. But he also uh, he seemed skeptical of of a lot of the research you put forward, and and I think one way he challenged it a lot was through anecdotes. You know, I had a patient X Y Z. You know, how did how is that affecting your? Do you, you well, look like you want to? I mean, it's chime in on it, this. It,
2: it's funny you say. It. I'm glad to hear you say it, because. I, I, I felt like I was arguing the science and he was arguing the anecdotes. He's the MD. Um, and, and and you know, one, look, he talked a lot about CBD too. And so I understand if, if he's getting patients who are feeling relief from CBD, that's fine. And even if, you know, and it wasn't clear to me how much of his practice is CBD versus THC, we didn't really have the chance to go into that. But it is clear on a population-wide basis that THC has these psychiatric risks, okay? So I wanted to say to him, you know, isn't the first, and I never did because I felt it would be a little disrespectful to, you know, to say it to him this, this bluntly. But, uh, you know, I, isn't the first rule of your job, do no harm? Isn't that the first thing they teach you in medical school? And here you are talking about these anecdotes. Okay, you have 10 patients who come in. You give them all some THC product. Two of them come back and tell you they're doing great. Two of them come back and tell you they're doing okay. The other six never come back. Okay. Now, now, this is a hypothetical. You, You wind up telling me, I gave two patients THC and they did great on it. Well, doc, the reason we won't run clinical trials is because we need to know what happened to all 10 of the people. And you, as somebody who has a financial interest in this, and as somebody who's, you know, sort of like staked out a public claim here, you're, even if you even if you're doing this with the best of intentions, you're gonna forget about those other eight people, because because you want to think about the two who confirmed your bias, and so I, I mean I I didn't want to say that to him, and I didn't say that to him, um, and I and I honestly thought he was a really nice guy. I'm joking about you know I'm just I'm just jealous. He had such big uh, you know such big triceps, but but uh, but. I think the reason we have science is because you know the reason we have clinical trials the reason we collect data not from one person or from one academic center uh, but and not even one study we do this over and over again we try to build we try to build big databases that have multiple people running trials that have that have many different kinds of people in their trials because we because we want to defeat that bias as much as possible and get to facts. And that's really hard to do. But at the same
0: time, because of marijuana status as a federally schedule, uh, what is it? The schedule one. Schedule, yes. one, schedule one, one drug. Aren't there serious limitations on the kind of trials we can do?
2: Not really. So this came up uh, in the discussion. Um, there there have been more than 25,000 clinical trials on marijuana. Um, uh and most of them are pretty small, and most of them don't, you know, don't show much either way. On, on the question of harm is, by the way, you, can't, you could never run a clinical trial to test, to test for harm. That's not allowed. So when we're talking about psychiatric risks, we basically have to do that through epidemiology. And by the way, we've never run a clinical trial that shows that tobacco causes lung cancer. We've used epidemiologic data, biological you know, plausibility, mechanism of action. We've looked at relative risk. So, so you can get to a definitive answer without a randomized control trial, although randomized control trials are the best way to get to the answer in the quickest way. But so when we're talking about testing marijuana for benefit, medical benefit, OK, the idea that you can't test or that it's very hard to test is simply not true. The reason and by the way, this is why one of the things I favor is let's move marijuana to schedule one R or one B. That doesn't exist now, but let's create a category so that researchers, real legitimate researchers in the United States won't be able to say this anymore. They still but you can still do research, but let's make it a little bit easier. We're not going to find that cannabis is a great medicine for a lot of things. We have. Spent the last hundred years millions literally millions of researchers trillions of dollars now have been spent. We have a handful of really effective drugs and a you know and a larger number of pretty effective drugs. The reason it's hard to cure disease isn't because marijuana's been out there waiting to cure everything you know from cancer to gout it 's because disease mm. is hard to cure I mean broadly and and cannabis probably isn't very effective at curing much of anything. It's effective at getting people high. Alcohol, by the way, lowers your blood pressure and may help cardiac risk. Alcohol is not medicine and cannabis isn't medicine. These are intoxicants.
1: Cannabis does cure one thing, which is the desire to go to 8 a.m. class.
2: There you go. <laughs> there. It does. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> um, no, I mean, can't, listen, we, we uh, cannabis is bad for motivation. People who smoke a lot tend to have negative societal outcomes. I don't write about that in my book. To some extent, that's your choice. You know what? I, I, if you're going to sit at home, you know, until you're 40 playing video games and getting high and you don't get married and, you, you know, you don't have much of a job— I, that's not great for you personally, and it's not the choice I would make. And it's not great for society. You have too many people doing that, but this is the United States. People are allowed to make choices. You can go into any casino in Las Vegas, and you can see somebody who's gambled away his house. You know, people people drink, and that's not great for them. Sometimes uh, they you know they they smoke cigarettes, and cigarettes are you know they're not great for you. So I I think we you know we need to allow people to make decisions. Um, as long as those decisions are not hurting other people, and as long as those decisions are made in an informed way, now it may be that sort of the secondary risks, the psychosis and the violence risks around cannabis are so severe that we don't want to legalize it. We, you know, we say this is different than alcohol or tobacco. We're gonna, we're gonna, but it's also different than heroin. So we're gonna, mm-hmm. we're gonna sort of decriminalize. We're gonna have, we're gonna try to go halfway. Um, I don't think we know that at this point. Um, uh, you know, and I think, again, the argument that alcohol is legal, so, so cannabis could be is a strong argument, a reasonable argument. But what I don't like is when people lie about the harms.
0: Well, do you think the ship has sailed on this? I mean,
2: pretty much, uh, you know, across the board, I, I, I when people said to me or when I you know, earlier this year, I said to people post 2020, if you're a betting man, you'd bet that cannabis is going to be legal. Um, certainly, if a Democrat wins, uh, you know it looks like cannabis going to be legal nationally. Um, and even if you know Trump is reelected, uh, he might move that way. I'm a little less sure of that than I was because, first of all, you know even in the blue states, the legislators are clearly a little bit wary of this. You know, New York didn't pass, New Jersey didn't pass, Connecticut didn't pass, New Mexico didn't pass. And second, Biden is clearly wary, and he's the Democratic front runner. So maybe if he wins, we don't get there. And third, the data is starting to look pretty bad from the legalized states. Oh, and one other thing is that the uh, – yeah, well, by data, I mean the driving death data, the violence data, um, the psychiatric admissions Are data. Are you seeing anything on school dropout rates? Uh, you know, there's been a little work done on that. My my impression is that, in fact, there was a pretty good study done, I think, that showed that uh, grades went down mm-hmm. um, in college. Uh, uh, but – I don't think there's definitive data on on that yet. But the other thing is the tax revenues don't seem to be as as big as people thought. So you know, in Illinois, which did legalize, the governor said, "Well, we're going to make a billion dollars a year out of this." That's just pure nonsense, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now their revenue first year revenue estimate is fifty eight million. In California, forty billion people, they got three hundred fifty million dollars last year. I mean, that's a you know that's a that's a tiny uh, forty million people. So that's ten dollars in uh, a. Uh, an adult in tax revenue.
0: W- w- wouldn't that imply the consumption then is less than than expected?
2: No, it, impl- it implies that there's a tremendous black market, and also that prices are going way down. Okay. So um, you know, I think so. Colorado has the biggest market relative to uh, you know state population, and the and the biggest tax revenues I think relative to state budget. It's about one percent of the state budget there. So you know that shouldn't be enough to. To drive uh, to drive public policy, in my mind, it, you know, if you want to compare it to lotteries, lotteries, states make a lot of money from. I mean, you know, they make. They, I, I don't have the figure off the top of my head, but my I think they make thirty billion dollars in you know in, because it's like it's like a fifty or $60, $60 billion dollar industry, and they keep close to half of you know on the scratch offs and on the so uh, lotteries. They can they can you can really make a lot of money with with cannabis. It's much smaller, and and so. Do we want to invite... I don't think that's a good reason in other words. I think, I think if you want to do this and say it's an issue of personal liberty or it's an issue of we don't want to put people in jail, okay, but don't think you're going to make a lot of money because you're not.
1: You know, when we were reading more about you, by the way, I had come across, I was so glad to hear you'd be here today because uh, I I had read your Wall Street Journal op-ed at the beginning of the year, sure. um, which is directly taken from your... From the book, From sure. the book, Right. Uh, and w- we saw that you began your career actually at the Denver Post. Yes, is that right? Now, that call... was pre. I'm very old. That was pre-legal. <laughs> well, election. well, that's what I was going to ask. Is uh, last night at the debates you watched? Government, Governor Governor Hickenlooper mentioned you know how proud he was that they <laughs> paved the way.
2: Yeah, he was against it back then. Really? Um, yes, he was. He. Uh, I think. Look, if you're a Democrat, with the exception of Biden, who's you know like was like eight hundred years old. Um you can't be against legalization. It's a uh, it's very important to the to that sort of woke democratic base. It's the you know, that and making sure that everyone in the in the world gets uh gets health care paid for by the US government or the two uh, two you know principles of the democratic base.
1: But he you know he when he said uh talking about how Colorado led the way in so many different fronts and one of those was legalizing marijuana You you look at the stage and and everybody... Agreed with him. And as you said, yeah. it, it's, it's a standard issue for you. You have to do it as a Democrat now. Did you see that coming when you started?
2: Nah, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And, you know, it's fine. This wasn't a big deal to me five years ago, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, 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 look, I, people ask me this sometimes. I i used cannabis a handful of times in my life. It actually, it's not my, my next question. It's not my, it's <laughs> not my thing. More than um, Bill Clinton? <laughs> probably less than Bill Clinton. Certainly less than Barack Obama. Um, uh, you know, I—it's uh, not my thing. Um, but I didn't have much of an opinion on it. And you know, New York State—I sort of assumed it was coming. I mean, now it's—you know—and now there are these medical dispensaries in New York. But as a former journalist, I—and I, I've tried to think about what bothers me about this. Well, first of all, the as a—you know—as a parent, and I'm a parent now. You once you have kids, you sort of realize how vulnerable they are, and how—and how. And how you do have to try to protect them a little bit, um, you know, from because when you're 16, you guys are a lot closer to 16 than I am, you think nothing can hurt you. And so, like, you, you, you do have to you try to warn kids away. But also, there's child abuse, okay, associated with marijuana consumption, which is something people don't realize. The, the numbers out of the states that really look hard at child fatalities, there's a significant amount of child abuse associated with marijuana. So, so but... So put that aside. Put aside the problems with the drug, okay? What kills what drives me crazy as a former journalist is to hear people in my business, and I still consider it my business, getting snowed and not being properly skeptical. And 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 not thinking, "Oh, you know the tobacco companies lied to us for 50 years. The opioid companies lied to us and 70,000 Americans died last year from overdose." Maybe the people who are selling us cannabis are no more our friends than those other people. But it's not its not just that they aren't skeptical. It's that they're, like, fully on board. And I don't understand it. So that's really what drives me nuts.
0: One thing, I mean, the, the argument, I think, is, is so strong. But like you said, though, with legalization, you can make a valid argument for it. And one question that I have is, as as it stands... Millions of people are using marijuana now forty
2: million in 2017 yeah yeah
0: um, do you do you think does the research show that that would change if we legalize it or would it just be kind of a symbolic
2: no I, no I, legalization would lead to a further increase in use um, especially legalization under the current situation where marketing is per, permitted and uh, medicinal claims are permitted. It's clear that you can you can move the needle on this. Um, and one of the most interesting things to me in the book was that you know in t- between two thousand two through two thousand five, the U.S., Britain, and Canada all had very similar rates of cannabis use. Now, the U.S. and Canada have gone up about 50 percent. Britain's gone down about a third, even though it's starting to move back up a little bit. And so we and Canada use at double the rates of Britain. Now, why is that? It's because in Britain, there are psychiatrists who've been much more aggressive about talking about the psychosis risks. And there hasn't been this industry. So there's been more knowledge of the risks and less of this medical nonsense. And so look, there's going to be people who are going to use drugs. No question. People, there are people out there who know that opioids can kill them and they want to try it anyway. But there's also people who won't use if you make it harder or who will use less or who will use once and say, you know what, that felt really weird. I don't want to do that again. Instead of saying, you know what, that felt weird, but I'm going to try it again. And some of, you know, some of those people will get addicted. Um, you know, Bob DuPont upstairs was talking a little bit, uh, you know, about this idea that in some ways we're all just rats. You know, you, they're drugs of abuse, drugs that make rats feel good, right? And so those rats will work. They'll push the button more. Cannabis is one of those drugs. Um, you know, and not every drug that affects the brain is a drug that induces that reaction. Nobody, Nobody's pushing the button for Zyprexa, okay? There are brain drugs that make people feel really bad. Um, but, but drugs that, that produce euphoria... Are drugs that some people are going to have problems with. And I and I said this at the debate, obviously there are gonna be a lot of people who don't have problems. There are gonna be people who can just use even heroin, even cocaine. People, plenty of people who use those drugs in their 20s. And you know, one day they wake up and they and they realize this is not working for me anymore, or they just decide, I'm I'm an adult now, I'm gonna quit. But I don't think you can make policy for those people you have to make policy for the large number of people who are vulnerable. And so legalization is a way of saying this really isn't that dangerous. And that's a danger if and if we're going to do that, if we're going to say okay on an overall public policy point perspective, an individual liberty perspective, that's okay, we want to we're going to legalize. We need to spend a lot of money telling people simultaneously this is dangerous to you. We're permitting it, but we don't love it. You know, as a final question for me, you've
1: done a lot of different things, covered a lot of industries. Uh, you've been on Joe Rogan. By the way, every, every man's dream. <laughs> every man's. I was going to say, you know, a lot of young people they may not like your research on weed, but you've been on Joe Rogan. There you go. So, uh, and and you and you you know you outwitted Doctor Trice, <laughs> um, which is impressive. And by the way, I know we're a lot less intimidating. Uh. Then, uh, I wore my tightest shirt
0: there you <laughs> you go. <There>
1: you go. <laughs> frost is intimidating uh, what do you do you plan on continuing this is this is this your project now
2: uh you know that's a great question I, I first of all I have a novel uh, that I that I owe my publisher so I'm so I'm gonna huh. deliver that uh, or they won't be happy with me <laughs> you know after that I don't know I, I feel I have to defend my book because I feel that attacking my book or saying it's not true is attacking me as a journalist and uh you know i i may be a lot of good and bad things in the world don't don't get my if my wife were here she'd probably have some opinions for you <laughs> but uh but don't attack me as a journalist and don't say i make things up or that i lie or that i or, you know my philosophy at the times and my philosophy in writing this book was the same thing try to tell the, the you know the the truth as best i could Um, not cheat not you know not play with statistics try to get to the truest place i could and i'm going to defend myself and defend my book what i do next after you know after the next novel i'm not sure i have a couple ideas you know and it will sort of depend on do i want to spend my life in the middle of this of this fight and i I don't i don't know the answer to that well we've always got an open chair on banter
0: (laughs) alex thanks for
2: joining max and max thanks for having me yes sir
0: so thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please be sure to subscribe, although you probably already have subscribed if you're listening to this. If not, go But like
1: it. Like it, it,
0: share it. Tweet it out. Every Get platform you have. We appreciate every last ounce of your effort to appreciate this show.
1: Max, I thought that conversation was wonderful, and Alex Berenson is convincing, and he's a man on a mission.
0: He is, and he's making... He's really just fighting against the tide here. I right. mean... Frankly, nobody, nobody, you know, kind of mainstream, it seems, is making this argument that we should not be legalizing marijuana. For most people, if anything, it's a question of when or how quickly right. or whatever. And Even he's just... In, in the last midterms,
1: Utah legalized medical marijuana. If Utah's legalizing medical marijuana, you have an uphill fight. Well, yeah,
0: well, when, when yes. I think about it, too, one thing, I remember going to California when I was back in high school, visiting L.A., went to Venice Beach... Um, that was like ten, ten. Muscle Beach?
1: where you? Were you? I was working out. There. Yeah.
0: I was working. <laughs> out. Um No, and they have a strip there, and there's a place called the Kush Doctor. I'd never seen anything mm-hmm. like it. And you know, it was like a tourist attraction zone. So you go, here's like a place selling marijuana. Right. Now this is everywhere. I mean, you go up the street here, literally right. a couple blocks from here in Adams Morgan in D.C. Right. Um It's everywhere. I mean, weed shops everywhere. It's completely changed the whole right. dynamic. Changed.
1: CBD oil in just about every store. Yeah. It's it's really happened rapidly, and. And, you know, I've got to say, I don't think this should be a foregone conclusion. And I think Alex's book, I think his I think his message today uh, makes one compelling case for why it should not be a foregone conclusion. And we should really think about this issue.
0: I agree completely. And for that reason, again, we recommend the book. It's Tell Your Children by Alex Berenson.
1: And I just want to say this podcast does not like blissful ignorance, especially on questions of health. And that is what we hope this conversation pushed back against today. Blissful
0: ignorance. We want you to look at the facts and really think about it. Could not have said it better myself. So thank you for coming to the show, Alex. Max, thanks for coming on the show. It was an honor. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening.